welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23rd, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources. Joining me today is Roy Poyan, a former captain in the Ohio Military Reserves and the founder of Our House Alzheimer's Family Learning Center, and most recently, the founder of Families Impacted by Opioids. His mission is to empower the family in their journey to support a loved one struggling with substance use disorder. On May 4th, Roy will be hosting a special conference for families impacted by opioids. In today's podcast, we'll preview that conference. As we begin, Roy talks about what brought him to this cause. I think it was a combination of several different areas. One was my experience in my career 35 years in putting together for families at home disease management models. Greg, that required that I had to work with a group of clinical and business executives in the healthcare industry and bring together the kind of delivery system that was going to be most meaningful and useful for families in areas that they were dealing with at home, such as asthma, diabetes, COPD, CHF. There wasn't really much of a service in what we're identifying as the alternate site of care, those services delivered outside the hospital. But managed care realized that there was an advantage to having some kind of services assembled so that they could proactively intervene with the family at the source. It's a very humanistic approach. It made good cost containment sense, and it gave the families and the patient the right level of access and the right timeline. Actually, from that experience, we put that into several markets, 300 of them, from Seattle to San Diego, Bangor, Maine, to Miami, Florida. And by doing that, we learned a lot about the family dynamic and its role in empowering the results that can be achieved. Now, today, we call these programs disease management models, and they've actually evolved to being What's known as a common coined word is patient-centric care. Basically, what we're doing is we're consolidating those resources that are already out in the marketplace and being successfully delivered. And fortunately, because of technology, we're able to do a proper level of measurements, now called outcomes, but based around clinical, financial, and satisfaction results. Next, Roy talks about how his work with families struggling with Alzheimer's provided a foundation for his newest initiative. Most recently, in identifying in Alzheimer's that the families were going through a very devastating time of the diminishment of their loved one. And really, there weren't many resources available to help educate the families in the five stages of diminishment. So I put together a model in a home-based program that educates families through three seminars. I published eight books on Amazon.com to help the families understand the dynamics. But key to the whole concept of the model was what I had done and learned during the disease management for asthma, COPD, 
and diabetes with the families. Recently, the opioid epidemic has highlighted in my life only because of my spirituality. I became much more sensitive to the needs of others, and hearing the cries of people who are going through this epidemic and really not having a satisfactory answer from the industry, because there's a void right now, Greg. We're doing a great job in treatment centers, and there's a lot of money involved in this. But we're also letting go of the patient after treatment. We know that if they achieve a five-year abstinence, statistics show us that there's a 15% likelihood of relapse. There are empirical studies that indicate both uh, one, two, three, and four up to the five-year point. And two actually is one of those um, benchmarks of success. I kind of look at it as like an ab- abacus where you have bars on the abacus and you're moving the beads across. Every month of successful uh, abstinence is a month to your positive. So you move the bead across. The goal is to get as many beads to the other side because there's several rails in an abacus. Each one of those rails could actually indicate your success in managing your life legally, medically, socially, spiritually, psychologically. And oddly enough, Greg, all of those are measured by severity indexes and can be measured, but we're not. Instead, we're leaving the person to kind of fend for themselves. We've got great 12-step programs and some resources for outpatient, but we just don't have a pathway that's firmed up with professional services that keep the person engaged up to that five-year marker. I became aware that I had the talent and the skills to put together a conference for the families to empower them. I knew that the families were a centric part of this from my experience with diseases and disease management modeling across the United States. So it wasn't very heavy water to lift. But what I needed to do was to harvest the best of what Northeast Ohio has in the areas that this disease appears the most and attacks us in the greatest way. Our cities, we needed to gather together our community based around geographic city municipalities and understand what we could do better from a city perspective. Our schools, we needed to gather around our schools and determine what we could do better from a school perspective. Our families, which are quintessential to the success of any kind of healthcare posturing, we needed to get together them and educate them and organize them and network them. And that's the goal of this conference. We're going to have 12 of the key issues that a family will have to address in their journey And we're going to go through each one as each has its own professional presenting. We've got hand-picked the best of the best from Northeast Ohio as our presenters. Next, we talk about the topics covered in the May 4th Family Conference. In the beginning, we're talking about a person that is being enabled. And often, the family doesn't realize that they're enabling. And they'll ask the question, how do I differentiate enabling from tough love? And when am I disabling good behavior? The family can learn these things. And sometimes when we look at the word enabling, we can boil it down even further. There's a psychologist by the name of Petraska 
and he worked with De Clemente, and they created the transformational theory of change. They actually designed how a person changes. There's five stages to this. And it's all a part of the enabling process also. By knowing the five stages of change, a person can understand that when someone is in the pre-contemplation stage, which is the first stage, they're not aware that they have a problem. Now, there's another group, another uh, group of psychologists, Miller and Waldeck, and they created what's known as motivational interviewing. Motivational interviewing is the process that we use to take a person from pre-contemplation to contemplation. Now they're at stage two. The way that this is done is by helping the person through a tool, a, uh, a severity tool, understand where they are and where they could be. And that moves them into contemplation. I don't like where I am based on this result, and I'd like to do better. So to get somebody to contemplation to go to the third stage, which is preparation, that person would then need to be given a choice, a menu of sort, in contemplation. So what are my alternatives? And a person that's prepared would present to them their choices. They would select one of the best that they feel, once again, the decision being theirs, and then they could move to preparation. All of this is in line with Petraska's five stages of change intermixed with Rolnick, Miller and Rolnick's motivational interviewing. Our treatment centers know this very well. Our families don't know this at all. We, we, we have Joyce Patience presenting from Rosary Hall. Her experience and model of addiction behavior and how it changes. The person, when they're in pre-contemplation, has a completely different way of conducting themselves and behaving than they do when they're in the treatment center, than they do when they get out of the treatment center, than that behavior is due when they are relapsing. The family can know these different behaviors, and we're going to teach it to them through Joyce's presentation in the seminar. Roy talks about how waiting for someone to hit rock bottom is like playing Russian roulette. It's true. It's a precarious situation to be in. And it's more than just saying, well, that's just being tough love. We believe that there are people, a lot of people that are going through this, that can avoid rock bottom by being properly managed through cognitive behavioral therapy and other type of psychological and psychiatric with medications capabilities of bringing them into a position where they could start to make a change for themselves. Let's keep in mind, this is always their decision. But in the family dynamic, the family can also seek treatment because they've been significantly disrupted by the behavior of their loved ones. In fact, they've often changed the way that they live their family life in order to accommodate the changes that this person is experiencing. This is called homeostasis. And what that means is the family will always try and find a balance in itself to the point of adjusting itself around the patient's misbehavior. That creates an enormous disruption for the family. If the family were to seek multidimensional therapy from a family therapy group, very few sessions, they can help to learn the skills needed in order to be a real asset to the loved one. Empirical studies show that those that go through, those families that go through multidimensional therapy will have a 59% reduction in the likelihood of a relapse. The family 
matters in a very large way. Doesn't mean it's the family's fault and they should not feel guilty about what's taken place. But there's a lot they can do. And by coming to this conference with these 16 family learning sessions and 24 speakers, they're going to learn everything they need to know about this journey. It doesn't necessarily happen in a sequence. This isn't a linear equation. They could bounce forward and backwards at any point. But it is very possible that a medical emergency intervention, what we commonly refer to as Narcan or a visit to the hospital, Mm -hmm. is going to be required. The family could prepare for that. There's a lot that is going to be asked of the family in that kind of an emergency setting. Number one, they need to bring with them the right identifications and the allergies and the medications that their loved one is currently experiencing. At the conference, they'll be given a workbook that helps them to get organized around a visit to the org- to, to the ER. It seems kind of simple, but you'd be surprised at how many people are, so, are, are taken back by the fact that the hospital wants to do a 23-hour observation of their loved one, because I think they should just be discharged because they're doing much better now. That is an intervention. It should be seen as one that's manageable by the family and that they can prepare for. Also, upon that discharge, though, it could be that the police are waiting for them on the other side of that equation. In a good way, I mean this. And the family can see the police intervention as being a very positive and manageable way of doing it. For one, we asked the conference attendees to take the workbook and complete a missing persons report now before they need it. That way, when the police show up, they know exactly what to tell them about where their child is located, or possibly, so they can decrease the amount of time it takes for them to find their child. It could be that that's the moment that a fentanyl event could take place, and that would be a terrible thing to look back on in terms of um, we were ambiguous on purpose. We could have handed them a sheet of paper that we prepared for in advance that showed them where he hangs out, what his friends' names are, what the cell phone numbers are, giving them uh, access to whatever he's doing on social media so that they can do the proper level of investigation quickly. But there's also a, a new concept called QRT, quick response teams. And they're very dynamic, and, and I give a lot of credit to the cities that are doing this type of program because that allows them to then show up the next day with a QRT team of people typically a police officer, a social worker. And what they try to do is to talk to the person after an Narcan event the next day to consider going into detox because it is so new and this person is so disoriented, there may be that opportunity to help them to start their detoxification. Another topic covered at the conference is legal interventions. As you know, there are three tiers to the legal system regarding Uh, drug addiction. Uh, The first is a program similar to what is known commonly in many cities called Safe Passages or there's SOAR in Lakewood. These groups are excellent. What they do is they help to divert the person away from being booked at the police station should the person choose to and should that city have already set up the policy empowering the police officer to make that on-the-spot call. What happens is they don't get arrested they actually get sent over to detox. This is solely based on their choice, of course. Nobody is made to do these things. But in terms of the legal system in its entirety, our presenter was handpicked. We didn't want just anybody explaining this very complicated process. We wanted the best. We found her. Marie Lane is a defense attorney in Ashtabula. 
and she is going to be presenting the legal system and drug court. Marie, as a public defender, knows how to stick up for the rights of a family. She knows how to work the best way through the system for the family because she's a defense attorney. But not only that, Marie has a unique set of skills. She actually sets up drug courts for other states. So she knows the system very thoroughly. And for that reason, she was handpicked over several of the other recommended people that we could have used for this presentation. We're very proud to have Marie Lane on our, on our team. Treatment providers will also be covered at the conference. I'm very proud of our treatment centers up here in Northeast Ohio. I think they do an excellent job. They know what they're doing. They know how to do it. And many of them have several years, like Stella Mars, Matt Talbot, uh, Glenn Bay, Ohio Guidestone, the Community Assessment Treatment Centers, uh, Breakthrough down at University, um, uh, which is Southwest General's program. These, these groups take hold of their loved one, and they've got models that are best practice evidence-based and they're, they're, there's a certain fidelity to the model that we're seeing here in Northeast Ohio. Um, and for that reason, we're, we are achieving great results from our treatment centers. And this is definitely an intervention, but it's not the final intervention, mm-hmm. but it's one of the major pieces that needs to take place. In that, you'll find the category of detoxification, which typically takes anywhere from five to eight days. That depends on the type of drug and when the person started. You notice I keep going back to when the person started because that's important. Did they start as a 15-year-old or as a 17-year-old? There's a difference of three years makes a very large difference, as studies have shown, in their ability to receive treatment and to have their treatment be effective. We have the Oriana House Treatment Center and Glen Bay presenting two seminars on treatment centers. We felt that treatment centers were that important that it actually has two uh, spots in this day's day-long conference. And one of the purposes of our presentation to the families is to give them a checklist on how to do a proper review. Let's face it, Greg, if we were going to submit ourselves to the industry of home uh, of nursing homes, we would have AARP and Department of Aging giving us all kinds of different ways of evaluating the, the nursing homes. We don't have that for treatment centers, but we will at this conference. Next, Roy talks about back-to-work programs. This person's whole dynamic has changed, and we're going to help the family understand this is not a normal job search. This person may not have the access to a car anymore. They have a possible felony record. Um, they do have the weaknesses created from the drug, and it's physical attributes uh, in terms of this is new for them also. Um, they're not as strong as they used to be, but they're getting stronger, hopefully. The back-to-work programs that are available through JFS are never-ending. Uh, there's an extensive degree of programs, but you have to know how to access it. And for that reason, we're having Andrea Boxel come in from Columbus. And Andrea used to serve as Governor Kasich's Deputy Director of the Opioid Task Force. She's done a fabulous job, but she's convinced me thoroughly, and I, I believe in everything that she's told me, that she can show a family exactly how to break apart a state, federal, and county agency in order to maximize the benefits of what they have. You'll have to come to the conference in order to experience what she has to say. Next, Roy introduces us to a prevention program called Preventure. There's some parts that are moving in the conference that don't necessarily involve the families, but directly impact the families. Sean McAndrews will be presenting from Bay City Schools Preventure Program for superintendents and principals 
who should attend to this session. That's going to help them to understand Preventure. Preventure is 90% accurate, Greg, in identifying the coping weaknesses of students. Sean is the middle school principal for Bay City Schools. 44% were actually enrolled in the program that they implemented. That means that they understand many of the weaknesses in coping of these students. Some of those categories include suicide, cutting, bohemia, bullying. This is, this is unheard of to be able to have the ability to intervene in a child's life in a very productive, safe, and normalizing way to help them build skills that they need. I wish I had had that when I was younger. It would have been a great help for me as an adult. And it allows us to allocate our funds more directly and to measure the results. These are two very important factors. Behavioral health is not really known for being able to measure its successes as succinctly as we do in medicine, where we're dealing with asthma or COPD. The Addiction and Family Empowerment Conference is May 4th at the Holiday Inn at Rockside Road. There'll also be a hiring fair for professionals in the addiction industry. Uh, If they come to the conference center from 8 to 12 with their resume, they'll be able to meet with the 50 exhibitors. Greg, we have 24 unpaid speakers that are coming here because they care about our community. Truly. I'm, I'm blessed with the uh, with the honor of serving the needs of our families, but just in the just in the professionalism that these speakers uh, have and are willing to take the time on a Saturday to impart. We really care about Northeast Ohio, and this is the kind of issue where we need to step up to the plate. We need to stand together, and we need to stand up. Joining me today has been Roy Poyan, who is the founder and creator of the Addiction and Family Empowerment Conference, and it's for families that have been impacted by the opioid epidemic. His mission is to empower the family in their journey to support a loved one struggling with substance use disorder. My name is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic one life at a time.